Welcome back to Feeling Seen, the podcast about the movies and the characters that make us feel seen. Today I'm joined by writer-director Jade Hallie Bartlett, whose feature debut, Miller's Girl, is in theaters right now. It's a gothic obsession thriller with a sense of humor starring Jenna Ortega and Martin Freeman. Jade herself could also be described as a thrilling person with a gothic sense of humor. Her love of things both macabre and playful shows up in the character that made her feel seen. Elizabeth Taylor as Martha in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Jade Hallie Bartlett, uh, what else do the people need to know about you before we get started today? Well, I'm from I'm from Tennessee, so my accent's going to come in and out. Um, Let's hope so. What I wanted to know is, in the terms of feeling seen, influential movies in your life, and, and kind of themes of this movie, did you grow up watching the, like, erotic Lolita movies of the 1990s? Definitely. Oh, okay. my God. Yeah, we're, we're talking The Crush, we're talking Poison Ivy, like, those yes. kinds of films. Anything yes. that they put Alicia Silverstone in and made it her fault that every adult man wanted to have sex with her. Correct, yeah. correct. All of those, anything with Liv Tyler, mm. um... God, I'm trying to think of the real... I mean, Lolita was really seminal for me because, it. I mean, it's shot so beautifully. It is oh, so God, yeah. arresting. And any of the erotic thrillers, like yeah. all of the Adrian Lyne stuff, like oh, uh, Nine and a Half Weeks, mm-hmm. Fatal Attraction, um, what's the Sharon Stone one? Basic Instinct. Basic oh Instinct. Like, this You want to go of- another Sharon Stone sliver? Sliver. Oh, my God. Slither is so good. Wait, is she also in that science fiction one that's so... <laughs> Is it Sphere? Oh, Sphere. Honestly, Do you remember that? One of my low-key favorite sci-fi movies. Yeah. I actually love Sphere. I think it's it's underrated and underseen. Totally underrated. Totally underseen. So hot. Oh, my God. Species? I, when you were saying the sci-fi one, in my mind, I was thinking Species because yeah. I love... The Nastasia Henstridge era was Nastasia oh Kinski God. and Natasha Henstridge era was yes. such a divine slice of our lives. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean just... So hot. Like, just so hot. You wanted to be her. You wanted to be with her. I mean, these, you know, it was like formative, formative years, formative years for me with those, with those lovely ladies. In an interview I was reading, uh, you talk about, like, the, the sort of setting and, and, like, the coming to life of, of Miller's Girl, like, just, like, the look mm. and, like, the experience of it. You were like, it's not, like, it's too beautiful. No one talks like this. Like, yes. you're like, everything is three feet off the ground. And that is such a part of that cinema, of the 1990s, that erotic cinema, totally. where it's like, your life doesn't actually move like this. And, like, academia and books and literature, like, the careers of that women had in erotic killers in the 90s, they were art dealers and they were publishers, like, period. And I remember the first time I watched Sliver, she was, like, looking at this, she's obviously looking at the apartment that the entire movie's getting yeah. set around. And when the, like, the real estate agent is like, so what do you do? I In the space between Sharon answering the question being asked, I just shouted, publishing! She's a publisher! <laughs> And she was like, I'm in a book publisher. I was like, of course you are. Yeah. And she was probably, what, 32? She's playing like Two? a 32-year-old yeah. woman. Yeah. Like, like okay. All, all of those movies in the 90s. What's the one with Kate Hudson where she's like, she's got like a high-end magazine job. She's like 23 years old. I'm like, okay. Oh, yeah. How to lose a guy in 10 days. That's it. That's it. The, I'm like, the Carrie Bradshaw school of must be getting paid $15 a word to live the life that you do. C- correct. Correct. Would, would that it was so simple for writers. <laughs> <laughs> I, another interview I read to you, like in the preface, it started saying like, she's been making money in Hollywood writing movies for eight years. And I wanted to congratulate you on making money in Hollywood writing. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I've been doing a lot of writing. Nothing has been made except this, which was also my first screenplay, which is wild and kind of sweet. So now we can't like, OK, so we, we will we will get into Miller's Girl. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's going to be well throughout this conversation. But like before we I, I prolong us anymore by <laughs> God, I could just talk about a whole hours of, of erotic 90s th- uh, thrillers with you. <laughs> You went so, like, you called the shot and you swung and you, like, hit a grand slam over the fence when you picked your character. So please tell us what character you brought to the conversation today. I brought Martha from Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. How old were you when you first took this in to make this decision? The first time I saw the movie? Yeah. Oh, I was probably in maybe 10th grade, 9th or 10th grade. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the the whole piece, I think, is is extraordinary for many reasons that I'm sure we will discuss. But I had never really seen a woman 
in film be, and I, and I, I saw the film before I saw the play, but I had mm-hmm. never seen like somebody's wife be a full person and not just an accessory. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, and like to be able to go toe to toe intellectually with her husband and have all of this, like, I'm sure when that movie or when the play came out, people were, had to have been fucking horrified because yeah. it, it's such an examination of reality. George hates daddy, not for anything daddy's done to him, but for his own... Inadequacies? That's right. You hit it right on the snub. Wonder why the SOB hates my father. When George first came to the history department about 500 years ago, daddy approved of him. And you want to know what I did, dumb clap that I am? I fell for him. Oh, I like that. Yeah, she did. You should have seen it. She'd sit outside my room at night on the lawn and howl and claw at the turf. I couldn't work, and so I married her. (laughs) I actually fell for him. It. That. There. Martha's a romantic at heart. That I am. I mean, they must have thought she was a demon. Like, oh, she's obviously possessed and, and, and like, there's, uh, this is obviously, we're talking about Liz Taylor playing Martha, yeah. the, the you know, the wife, to boil it down, uh, character in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which is a movie about a married couple bound to and hating and resenting each other who've been yeah. together for years and at the end of a night of a party, they get home and the husband is informed by Martha, oh, uh, we're having people over, it's two in the morning. <laughs> and the young new couple in the department at the college uh, where her father is the president uh everybody's already drunk basically when everyone gets together and then this young couple proceeds to spend the night uh unaware unbeknownst to them walking into the detonating point of a marriage that has had like a fuse burning on it for decades it's so exquisite also that was the best elevator pitch of that story i've ever heard that was so good (laughs) that was so good because it's it, it the structure of the story is so, is is immaculate. Like, what a wonderful, delicious character piece! It is obviously like such a it's it's a huge influence on me as a writer, mm-hmm. as a filmmaker. Well, and I saw it referenced in in an interview I was reading leading up to this of talking about how like um, like Martin Freeman's character in your movie and his wife have like a dynamic that that ev- evokes who's afraid of Virginia totally. Woolf. That's that's a very intentional part of the part of their character makeup. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. it is, and also in the way I shot it, like having. You know, Mike Nichols is a is a fucking genius, but like moving. <laughs> yeah. letting... and this was his first movie. Was it? Oh my good god! Could you oh, imagine that's... coming out I... of the gate with Who Was Afraid of Virginia Woolf and then becoming Mike Nichols? No, I mean, I, I would love to. I would love to. <laughs> yeah. I would love to imagine that. Jay. It would be. It would be my. It would be my my greatest pleasure. You're um, like I, I spend think... a lot of time imagining that. Actually, thanks. I do. I do. I do. Actually, but I didn't know it was his first one. That's so special. That's unfucking believable. The light in that movie. Oh, fun fact about that movie: his cinematographer was colorblind. Really? Yeah. So like all of the all of the. Um, the shadows and the way everything moves. I was going to say, so light and, and shadow for him are what he's working with. Yeah, isn't that isn't that insane? It's so, and also the way he like lets the actors like sit. It, he films it like a play. He did the same thing with because he did Closer too, right? Yes, yes. Also, uh, another huge influence to to watch this movie is to witness Liz Taylor, and yes. and everybody everybody's doing an incredible job. I'm forgetting the name of the actress who plays the young wife, Honey, but my God, the performance she's giving as a drunk, addled woman is is truly spectacular. Oh my God! Well, and drunk is so hard to do. It's so hard to do well. Well, aren't you going to apologize? It wasn't my fault. The road should have been straight. Not that for making her throw up. I did not make her throw up. You most certainly did. I did not. Well, who do you think did? Sexy back there? You think he made his own wife sick? Well, you make me sick. That's different. No, now, please. I throw up. I mean, I get sick occasionally all by myself without any reason. Is that a fact? You're delicate for me. I've always done it. Like Big Ben, huh? Mm. Just watch it. The, the, the Liz Taylor of this movie, and to watch yeah. a movie like you said that bear like that rips open the chest of sort of the reality of a 
like a patriarchal oppression in a marriage and discontent and the violence that women can enact in such the acutely female feminine way that they're capable yeah. of, which is so remarkable. And like, is it problematic? Yes, but only because I think it's been under the auspices of the male gaze on its own, kind of spectacular and amazing. And I yes. think it deserves the credit, the, the credit it yes. is due. But like there was, you know, I'm assuming if you're watching Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and you're talking about in interviews like, you know, Jenna's character in your movie is someone who mm-hmm. is, as you said, like steeped in 18th and 19th century literature and 20th century cinema and all the problematicness that that entails. And yeah. I'm assuming you, too, are a student of these kinds of films, films like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And there's such a incredible piece of like the the nakedness of a woman's place in the women's pictures of mid-century mm-hmm. Hollywood cinema. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Well, it's I, 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 I mean, Cairo, I am technically every character in this movie, but I'm an only child of lawyer parents who okay. spent a lot of time not neglected by my parents. I actually loved being alone because mm-hmm. I I was so creative, but I was so romantic, like mm. before the real world crushed me. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the idea is, OK, for example, my favorite book of all time is Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. I've probably that, read that, that book. Stands. I've probably read, it it does. I feel like that goes hand in hand. I've probably read that book over 10 times and I reread it in the past. I I think I reread it right before the uh, Netflix movie came out. I just wanted to give it to myself again. Yeah. And it was, I was like, oh fuck, this is so problematic. (laughs) So like, he's such an asshole. You -hmm. never know her name. Mm -hmm. Danvers is an unbelievable character. Like Danvers, Stan Danvers for all time. Yeah. But like, the the gays are out here for, for, for Mrs. Danvers at forever. Yes. Oh my God. Get And so be, I, I think, I think for what it was in of its time, like really exquisitely represented. Like she was, she is, Dan, I would love to play Danvers. I would love to like, <laughs> I can't wait to write my homage to Danvers. Mm-hmm. But I think like, I really, I really loved Maxim so much. And I really, like a lot of the literature like that, like, like Jane Eyre, Rochester yeah. and Jane Eyre. I'm like, mm, okay, well, I see that I'm reaching for a man who resists. Like I wanted, I was like, yes, I want this person that resists me because there's this idea that once they give in to me, yeah. they're going to be great. No, yeah, how foolish! What? How, what idiocy! Yeah. But that's the great—that's the great lie that we're sold. Yeah. In I think all of that literature and all of yeah. those movies, and um, you're correct. It's 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 all entirely under the male gaze. And I think with like with Miller's Girl, this is it's a trope, of course. Mm-hmm. Like this trope has been told again and again and again, but it's not often told by women. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. I wanted to like get inside of there and like like show what it feels like from the inside because we do we do feel those things. And I think mm-hmm. women culturally are, you know, like they say that we mature faster than boys. That's not real. We are expected to mature faster than boys. We are expected like, to, yeah. So, so things are thrust upon us culturally that we have to mature faster. And so I think a lot of young women look around at the boys around them who still get to be fucking kids, mm-hmm. but they have to feel like an adult. So of course they look toward a Maxim or a mm-hmm. Rochester or a Jonathan Miller because mm-hmm. that feels... You 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 think that you have emotionally aligned with this person. Mm-hmm. That is not the case because that person is probably is also crushed by you know things that make them incapable of seeing what they are or or I don't know like coming together emotionally. But I I grew up with that kind of literature, and so mm-hmm. Cairo moves through the world with that kind of literature, and she's she's just ill-equipped to handle what it really is. Yeah. Why am I here? It's not for the poetry, I'll tell you that. It's for the thrill of something that I've managed to go my whole life without knowing. An ache of anticipation that you'll be here. And it will mean something that you are. I I remember when Me Too happened... And Tarana Burke is, like, such a fucking genius. Like, praise be to everything for Tarana Burke. But, yeah. like, the the resurgence also of the feminist movement and things, I remember learning, somebody said, like, the thing about, we we say I'm sorry instead of mm-hmm. excuse me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, 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 no, I'm apologizing for taking up space. I'm apologizing for reaching around you at the grocery store. 
what the fuck am I apologizing for? But all of these things that we, you know, like younger, like the younger generation, like they've grown up with me too. So Mm -hmm. they they have a totally different view. Like we're still unlearning Mm -hmm. a lot of shit, a Mm -hmm. lot of shit. Well, Matt, like, so watching as a, I'm 38, like, I was in my teens in the 2000s. I have an entire podcast dedicated to the sociology of the 2000s because I'm so obsessed (laughs) with it. And so, like, what is a 10th grader? Like, this is 2000s primetime, perhaps. As a 10th grader experiencing Liz Taylor in this role, what did that feel like? Was it like a bus hitting you? Like, as much as this role feels like it can be? Like, how was fitting your experience of watching that part into the life that you were living? Well, I was I was an actor, um, and mm-hmm. I, I I was a, I did like professional children's theater, and then I was and I did a lot of community theater. I was growing up in Memphis um, in high school, and Memphis I mean throw a rock and hit the most talented person you've ever met in your life. The Ro- theater oh, wow. in in Memphis is like a, 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 I don't know if it's in the water, which is oh, also wow. excellent. I don't know That's what amazing. it is. Memphis is incredible, but we had a really competitive theater program. Even though I was in this boony bumfuck high school, way 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 out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and the community theater programs were really intense and great. And so I, I was an actor and I, I think I, I want to say I watched it in a, f- in my memory, I watched it in a film class, but I might be conflating that because mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine that we would be allowed to watch that at school. But <laughs> either way, when I saw it, I was so excited to see a character that was so, like a woman that was so abrasive, a yeah. woman that was so... So like her sexual energy, like mm-hmm. gobsmacked me. Like mm-hmm. like everything about her was she was allowed to be grotesque. Yeah, and I think that's what really stunned me. Like I was like, oh, because that that's the she's kind of drunk and she shit faced the whole movie. There's not this is not an elegant Liz Taylor. Mm-hmm. Fix the kids a drink, George. What would you like to drink, it? Honey. <sighs> What would you like? Oh, I don't know, dear. Uh, a little brandy, maybe. Never mix, never worry. Brandy? Just brandy? <laughs> simple, simple. What about you, uh, uh, um, bourbon on the rocks, if you don't mind? Mind? I don't mind. Don't think I mind. Martha, rubbing alcohol for you? Sure. Never mix, never worry. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, I think she was only like 34 when she filmed it. She's playing a character. And because this is a movie in the 60s, we're talking about it. We're we're watching a movie where everybody's washed and their life is behind them and they're in their 40s. Correct. Now these movie characters are like their early 70s. And because it's the 60s, it's like, well, I'm in my 40s, you know. I was like, oh, don't, you don't say. Shit. Oh, you don't. Wow. Well, (laughs) what what hope have we? Well, I mean, honey, we're millennials. I don't know what hope we have. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, she, she's, uh, the scene when she's eating the fucking chicken wing. Oh, right. And it's the beginning. That's the beginning of the movie. We start out with like a daisies moment of her just stuffing her face with chicken coming apart at the sinews. Mother, I can't remember all the pictures that came out of Warner Brothers. Nobody's asking you to remember every goddamn Warner Brothers epic. Just one, just one single little epic. That's all. Betty Davis gets peritonitis at the end. And she wears this big black front wig all throughout the picture, and she's married to Joseph Cottonism. Somebody. Somebody. And she wants to go to Chicago all the time because she's not that active with the star, but she gets it. And she sits down in front of her dressing table. What actor? What star? I can't remember his name for God's sake. What's the name of the picture? I want to know what the name of the picture is. She gets pardoned. She decides to go to Chicago anyway, and... Chicago. It's called Chicago. Huh? What? What is it? I mean, the picture. It's called Chicago. Oh, good grief. Don't you know anything? It was, it was, it was just so exquisite. It was so refreshing. This is a weird comparison, but it's kind of like... I didn't, it didn't, like, move me in the same way, but, like, when I saw the Wonder Woman for the first time Mm -hmm. and I saw those women on horseback, (laughs) I've seen soldiers on horseback in countless movies. Countless. So many times. And I had, it was like a thing I didn't realize I'd never seen before, and I sobbed my face off. I was, like, inconsolable in the theater. And a lot of people around me were, too. Like, I I think, and that a lot of that has been happening with Me Too and sort of the resurgence of the movement. Like, Mm -hmm. we're 
getting exposed to things that we didn't even know we missed. And so I think that's really exciting. I think that's exciting for art. But with Martha, when I was a little 10th grader, yeah. I was like this chubby little 10th grader watching this movie. And, you know, like, I was a, I'm also like a musical theater baby. So like, mm. you know, like the roles, there were not a lot of roles. Like I was never going to be the ingenue. Mm-hmm. Right, and right. so I, I was like, well, what the fuck can I play? Because I don't always yeah. want to play a granny or the yeah. mom who are lovely, but like, okay. But then there was Martha and I was like, what a rich character mm-hmm. for literally anybody to anybody. play. Her dialogue, her her physicality, getting to play drunk the whole time. She's so, the, the fear and sadness and longing in mm-hmm. her, the way it kind of like, my Mary Margaret Kunze, my, my producing partner slash best friend, mm-hmm. says this thing. She says that, all repression always leads to perversion. And so when you're wow. repressing, yeah. So like Put when you're repressing things in stitch, isn't that so good <laughs> when, when you're repressing things inside of you, right. They come out in deformed ways. So like yeah. Martha, like lashing out, like all her, her drunkenness, her fear is all because she's repressed. Yeah. And it's so gorgeous. I was just like, I, I was, I was, I, th- I think the first time I want, cause it's like a, I think, is it almost three hours? It's a really it's, long it's movie. It's two hours and ten minutes. It is two hours and ten minutes. What? And let me tell you, when I was watching it on Tubi last night to prepare for this, <laughs> the ad breaks in this oh, movie God. are so vulgar. It is like, oh, no. I was telling my producer before he came on, there is an ad break at the moment when she receives the, like, the gutting, when, like, George makes the choice, like, our son drops the hammer on her, and she's like, no! cut to break about mental health no. medication. It would like no. in the middle of the gutturals no. and then you just it just drops you back in to just ah, just wailing on her knees. I was like this is modern media ladies and gentlemen. Oh my god. Also, I feel like some some person who was ever controlling where those ads go did that on purpose. They had to. I think to. this has to be the pastime of people who have this job because I like Tubi has such an incredible catalog. I watch Meatball Machine on Tubi, the like category three Japanese like splatter movie. And no idea what that is. Where they put the ads in Meatball Machine and like people turning into like human machines that are just like gr- brutalizing each other. It just I mean, where is a good place in that movie to put them? But at the same time, it's like no, you guys did this on purpose. You guys did this are on they, purpose. Are they made of meatballs? No. I don't know why. I'm wondering if it's maybe like a translation thing or if it's like oh, an aspect oh, oh. of like you just like become such human meat as like you transform oh, into these machine people that maybe no, that's Nothing it. Italian. Nothing, no, no. There's no, no meatballs sauce. involved. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's no meatballs. Bad. No meatballs were harmed in the making of meatball machine. That, that's, that's too bad. I love a meatball. <laughs> I do. Well, okay, so as a t- the, the, whenever I have a 2000s baby on, it is such a treat for me because I'm like, are <laughs> you? And so, like, the I feel like such a, a hallmark of that era is the glossy sanitization of what we see on screen. Like, it is the, the minting totally. of the CW man, just hairless yeah. and shorn and covered in muscle. Yes. And, like, yes. all girls have, like, a t- they're wearing a, a jean with a two-inch zipper and they've got to have the abs <laughs> to support it. And (laughs) which only Britney did. And so this as a contrast in its grit and grotesquerie, like I want to hear about the experience of being used to a kind of media that you're inculcated in at that time and watching this Mike Nichols movie from the 1960s and feeling how that hits differently. Inculcated. What what an unbelievable word. Well done. Well played. Well played. That's hot. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, it was, it's so, like cinema and how Hollywood has like gone through weird phases of like anesthetizing and whitewashing and like unsexing and then super sexing, like is so yeah. weird. And the, and the, the aughts were, you know, it was a time. It was a time. <laughs> oh, and I man. think, I think, what you know, a drain. Being in a t- what a beautiful, sexy drain of culture. Oh my God. Well, and never forget. And I don't know if this, this might've been like later in the mid, in the mids, but like when Jessica Simpson, there was all this shit about Jessica Simpson being fat. And I yep. was like, what? Yeah. What? Like, like mm. millennial, millennial women and men, we're all pretty like fucked up by yeah. what the beauty standards were and oh, how yeah. they were we delivered to us. We are pilled by the beauty industrial complex so hardcore. Oh my God. Well, and I, you know, like I was not, you know, I was not a slender girl in high school. And I, uh, I remember seeing Martha and she was unlike you know, beautiful, what is her name? What is that beautiful actress's name who's in She's All That? 
Oh, Rachel、um, Lee Cook. Rachel Lee Cook, who like is oh, beautiful the with the glasses. Oh, the famous Lady Boggs transformation. Yeah, of glasses yeah, removal. The Lady Boggs. Like, are you like that? Was the kind of you know that was the kind of beauty that we were exposed to. Like, we、oh, yeah. were told that you and oh my god, that all that other sweet actress who. Her character used to be overweight, and then she was like super bulimic, and now she's like really hot, and they're all like, "You're so much better now!" Like, so much better now. Oh, like, what a fucking nightmare. Uh huh.、Um, and so seeing Martha, who is, I think, I think Liz gained like thirty pounds for that role, and Liz, you're talking about the even at the time the most beautiful woman. In Hollywood, and she is an hourglass dream in this movie. At one point, she's in her like low cut, like her V neck、oh、top,、God. like out dancing, literally just like shimmying in front of the man、mm. she is going to take to her bed tonight, who is twenty eight years old. And it's just like, I mean, that is a that is a sleigh. She is a sleigh、oh. in that look. She's she's and she still is. And I think I was so like you know because I'm a tenth grade girl, like I'm. You know, burgeoning sexuality as well,、yeah. and I was like, I want to, I want to be with you. I want to be you. Yeah, I want to, and like, and it's so weird because she's such a obviously she's a devastated character,、mm-hmm. but I found her so, I found her so sexually、mm-hmm. impressive. Yeah,、um, because she was. A real, not only a, I don't want to say like she was a real woman. She was a real woman. She is a real woman. But she was also so there was something so masculine about her sexuality. Yeah. That I was like, I was like, let's go. Like she was so, f- and ma- and I say masculine in the sense that I think she was so fearless with it. Yeah. Like there was no shame around it,、no. which I thought was astounding. You know, and like women, especially in the arts, like God, like I mean, we're still being told. Like what? We're eighteen. We're old enough to buy a gun, but we're not old enough to know who we want to have sex with. Like, yeah. And Billie、what? Eilish has been like a, a journey. A part of her journey in the last like two years of her career has really been like, yes, this is my body. Yes, this is who I am. And I have、mm-hmm. had to censor it in my teenage years because I have understood that the media cannot handle the reality of what I look like. So I have to cover myself for my own protection.、Uh, I that's 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 some Joan of Arc shit. That's why Joan of Arc like. To keep her virtue、yeah. for her faith, she wore men's clothes. Yeah, like come on, like get it together. <laughs> I, I have hope. I have hope. I think. I think. I don't know what gen. I don't know what we call the generation after Gen Z. They're Gen they Alpha. Gen Alpha. Are,、okay. I know I somebody like, with a with a a thirteen year old stepdaughter. They are Gen Alpha. Is 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 the thirteen year old Gen Alpha? Yes, that is the come up. Oh is, is Gen shit!、Alpha. Wow, they're here. Yeah,、okay. they're here. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, and they're oh, online. Yeah, yeah. They're they're out yeah, here on TikTok. I don't know where they are, but they're out here on TikTok. Sometimes I forget that that we're pushing forty. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> It's it was also such a weird like what like a weirdly unsafe time for so many people. <laughs>、yeah. Did you grow up in a rural place? I grew up in a very country town. I grew up in the Willamette Valley of Oregon, big farm town, big ag town. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So like, I grew up in Tennessee. I, I imagine there were similar. Fucking situations in the high schools we were at, like people were there were yeah people- like my 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 sister works in grass seed and her husband works in vegetable seeds. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, though that's cool for them.、Um, damn, goddamn right. Um, my you know at my high school and this was I mean I graduated high school in two thousand four. Like there were there was a company I'm sure they're still around called Dixie Outfitters and it was like. <laughs> It was like a bale of hay and like some puppies and a Confederate flag <laughs> draped across the bale of hay. <laughs> yeah, of course. And, and it was like not—I didn't think fucking twice about it because I grew up with it. And then I, when I was eighteen, I moved to New York City and was telling my friends that, and they were like, "What? what? Say what?" And I,、uh-huh. you know, I as technically an adult, there was just so much that I was unlearning、mm-hmm. about. What it what, like like the like the gay rights movement has lasted longer than the fucking Confederacy did. Thank God. Yeah. Like yeah. It's it's been such a strange thing learning about like culture and learning about sexuality when you are a millennial. Like I think even I think boomers and、um, like Gen X are 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 even in a better place than we are because it was、mm-hmm. the aughts were so fucking toxic for oh women, yeah for sexuality. 
for youth. Like it was just like we are so. Well, there's there was there was more media because like there's always more media than ever. That's just as yeah. time goes. So like there was more media than ever, and there so there was more to be exposed to. So where yeah. the, that beauty industrial complex had been around for ages, there was it was inescapable in a way that heretofore had never existed. But yeah. there was no personal filtering that could be done. Like you have the option to do now with your own personal like yeah. media consumption channels. So it was the monoculture and the monoculture was fucked. Yes. And it hated women. It still hates women. Yeah. <laughs> it still hates women. What? Let's, let, let's be honest. Like it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Yeah. And I think, you know, back to Martha, like seeing and George, all of those characters, like yeah. it's it's um Sandy Dennis is her name. Sandy Dennis, yes, playing the the tiny drunk uh, young wife in uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. So so good. Like it was just, I, I they were just they felt like such human characters in a really mm-hmm. heightened world, and yeah, I the world we were in in the aughts was heightened in a terrifying and also sometimes very beautiful way. Like the aesthetic beautiful. of like oh. the aesthetic of um um Spice Spice World the movie. Or Josie oh, and the Pussycats, yeah. like, let's go. So gorgeous. Absolutely. And like our, our plastic chairs, it was like weird kind of space. The the Michael Jackson uh, scream, the scream video to me is like. Oh, my God. That's Well, everything uh, was extra. The flash and the color and the Louis Vuitton, the mirrored Louis Vuitton bag, like a perfect demonstration to me of like the extra and over the topness of the aesthetic of the era. The like the slatted sunglasses, the Paris Hilton mm. mini dresses like it was hats on hats on hats. It was. <laughs> it sure was. And God, those low-rise jeans. Were you a low-rise jeans gal? The low-rise jean with the tank top down to your knee. Like, <laughs> and, and an empire sometimes, waist. Sometimes, oh my God, the empire waist. I was a, <laughs> I looked like a corporate power lesbian. I was really into the L word. I was really into the L word. Oh, I would bitch. wear. I would wear, I would wear, uh, for real. Actually, this is probably, I think it's back in, it, it's back in vogue now. High-waisted, pinstriped. Wide leg pants, kitten heeled, pointy toed yep. shoes, a vest <laughs> like a like a little corset vest, and a yes. and a top. And I'm in high school, walking around like I'm the fucking CEO of whatever in the fuck. I, oh God! And my Incredible. accent. When I hear videos of myself from that time, my accent is so like I had a teacher named Mrs. White, and I would say Miss Watt. Miss Watt. Miss Watt. That is Cody Smith McPhee in the Elvis movie saying he's white. <laughs> he's he's white. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> this is one of the best visuals I've I've conjured in such a long time. It was it was really it was really something I must say. It's time for a quick break, but I'll be back shortly with more from Jade Halley Bartlett, and then I'll have one quick thing about. The best picture contender that I think is the one that should walk home with all of it. So stick around for that at the end. Soundheap with John Luke Roberts is a real podcast made up of fake podcasts. Like, if you had a cupboard in your lower back, what would you keep in it? So I'm going to say mugs. A little yogurt and a spoon. A small handkerchief that was given to me by my grandmother on her deathbed. Maybe some spare honey? I'd keep batteries in it. I'd pretend to be a toy. If I had a cupboard in my lower back, I'd probably fill it with spines. If you had a cupboard in your lower back, what would you keep in it? Doesn't exist. We made it up for Sound Heap with John Luke Roberts, an award-winning comedy podcast from Maximum Fun, made up of hundreds of stupid podcasts. Listen and subscribe to Sound Heap with John Luke Roberts. Now. Oh, darling, why won't you accept my love? My dear, even though you are a duke, I could never love you. You, you borrowed a book from me and never returned it. (gasps) Save yourself from this terrible fate by listening to Reading Glasses. We'll help you get those borrowed books back and solve all your other reader problems. Reading Glasses, every Thursday on Maximum Fun. The lifespan of Miller's Girl has been about like a decade, I believe. And it began as a stage play and became a movie. Mm -hmm. And in the middle, there is this reckoning around equality, gender, things like that. So what what I want to know is that like 
as somebody who is impacted by Elizabeth Taylor and then a product of the 2000s where we're getting movies like House of Wax and then you go on to write your own things and then you're writing you're writing a movie that's also a product of probably your influence of like the low, those Lolita 90s like yes. you're saying literally the movie Lolita yeah. so when it comes time to sort of reorganize this as a screenplay instead of a stage play and when it comes time to sort of consider your characters of Cairo and Jonathan in terms of like oh there is this reckoning happening around like gender and representation and exploitation, what were you finding were the most challenging elements of your own, like, sort of internalized misogyny? What were the most, like, surprising elements to unpack as you were viewing your characters through a new lens in that way? What a great question. When me too... Okay, so when I I set out to write this story. I, this, this whole thing is really just a love letter to my muse, who is mm. a woman named Julianne Chandler, who is, mm. um, we went to high school together. She is so beautiful. She is such a talented actress. And I followed her to New York City to go to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And then when I got there, that bitch went to LA. And I was like, God damn it. God damn it, Julianne. I just came so far. <laughs> yes. Oh God! Um, but we we've stayed really close, and uh, and this was like I, I went to two different acting schools. So the extent of my education is a certificate of participation from an acting school. Mm-hmm. And the recession happened, and I couldn't get a job. Like really, Broadway Broadway took such a huge hit. It took another hit, obviously, oh. in in the pandemic. But like, yeah. if you weren't a celebrity or a male dancer, it was really really yeah. hard to get a job. Right, like Patty Lupone can work, and correct, that's and it. then that's it. <laughs> it's all one woman shows of Audrey McDonald and Patty Lupone. Yes, and also please, Patty, work for all time. Just one little side <laughs> note about Patty: Did you see her episode of Penny Dreadful? Yes, yes, I did. <sighs> Put it in the that annals woman. of perfect of perfection: <laughs> writing, acting, sobbing my face off. Trust me, honey. When you kill your husband with a cleaver and then stand trial for it in New York City. You know what it is to be alone. That Patty knows exactly where to go and exactly how much to do, and she, like, never overexposes herself. Long may she reign. Long may she reign. Yeah, eternal. Um, so I was, like, this is, like, poster session, like, 2011, and I um, was not a, I was not a writer. I didn't, like, I didn't, I, I, I had big designs of being an actress. Right. And I couldn't get a job, so I was bar managing for Broadway shows. Elisa Samsell, who is the composer for this movie, who was also my best friend from one of my acting schools, she and I had written uh, like a full-scale musical based on a short story by Edgar Allan Poe called Ligia. And mm-hmm. we did, we did, we went pretty, I think we wrote it in like three months. It was, it was really special and I, I hope that it sees the light of day. But I, that was the first time I'd ever written anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, after that, I was like, okay, like I've got a taste of that. I want to write something that's just a play and I wanted to mm-hmm. tailor it for because I'd been an actor, I thought it would be best to tailor it for someone. So I called Julianne, who is just my, my, she is my god of idolatry. Um, <laughs> I, and that's I was, so relatable to me. I like, and a muse, oh God, we could just go on about muses, but I'm going to tell you the story. So I called her and I said, I said, you know, what do you want to play? Like, if you could play any character, what do you want to play? Yeah. And she said, Rhoda Penmark from The Bad Seed, who, if you recall, Damn. is a psychotic like yeah. child killer. But it wasn't my fault, Mommy. It was Leroy's fault. He shouldn't have said he'd tell the police about me and give them my shoes. I know. And I think Rhoda, you know, Rhoda, I think was pretty special at the time too. Like any, I mean, she's a child and there's nothing sexual about her, but I think women having any sort of agency was so terrifying yeah. um, that, you know, we made them villains. Um, and so I was like, okay, you want to, she wanted to place, I, I think she wanted to play a woman that is unhinged, you know, that just kind of goes there. So yeah. I knew I, w- I wanted to write about the birth of a villain. And mm. I wanted to set it like I was, you know, right where you know. So I set it in our high school that we went to, uh, mm-hmm. which was full of incredibly, like, despite Dixie Outfitters, full of incredibly mm-hmm. intelligent, precocious, super mm-hmm. talented kids and educators. And um, I wanted something scarier. Like, I didn't want it to be murder. Mm-hmm. Um, I, because it was a play as well, but I wanted it to be like like emotional and intellectual intrigue. Ultimately, something is said, and that's what Me Too did. Yes, let me get back to answering the question. Me Too happened, and I was like, oh, I don't have one villain, I have two. And right. I suddenly saw John for what he was. And my 
it took the movement and sort of unlearning a lot of these things for me to see it at all. And that helped me develop Jonathan. Jonathan's inability to see himself is is me. It's my inability Mm -hmm. to have seen what he was. And so Beatrice then becomes, Beatrice is my favorite character I've ever written. What a fucking Mm -hmm. G. I love her so much. Um, (laughs) She becomes that voice of, that voice of reason, like, and she's really the only person in the script that has a leg to stand on, like, mm-hmm. ethically or morally. Um, yeah. She's not a nice person, but she's, mm-hmm. I mean, she's my Martha, obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, but it really, like, my understanding of Jonathan, like, that felt closer to me to real life. Like, I think these situations, there are, there are the worst case scenario situations that happen way too often, of course. Yeah. But I yeah. think this situation happens all the fucking time. And I think yeah. this is this is more common. And so I wanted to have a conversation around it. And so I had these characters now who started out each in the opposite role, but now exhibited mm-hmm. the same thing. So Cairo started as a villain. Jonathan started as a victim. But now they were both exhibiting both of those things. And as I came to understand myself as a writer as well, like the perfect victim is so boring. It's boring to write. It's boring mm-hmm. to play. And it's dangerous. It's a dangerous, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the perfect victim, if we keep writing women or any marginalized person as the perfect victim, they have no room for error. So the second they make one, people on the side are going to be waiting to vilify them, right? Because it's it's just, I call it the damsel box. It's just like, it's the same box we've been in. It's just got different wrapping that like, is like bubble wrap, you know, but it's Mm -hmm. not protective. And it's not real. Like, women are, if we don't allow women to be anything more than a perfect victim, then we're not allowing them to have any agency. It's so dangerous. And mm-hmm. women are, women, also, when I'm thinking about actors or, like, writing for an actor, I don't want to play a fucking perfect victim. That's boring. Yeah. I want to be, yeah. I want to be Martha, you know? Like, yeah. I want to be, and Martha is victim of so many things, and particularly, yeah. like, the crushing patriarchy of that time. But she's so much more yeah. than that. And she's an abominable person. Yes. Yes. She's terrible. She's terrible. Yeah. And you still love her. And I yeah. think, um, I, I think. Yeah. When you experience her heartbreak, when you witness it, it is you oh, like, and after everything that the guests have been uh, through with her that night, like they want to like take her in their arms and yeah. c- care for her in how, yeah. in her devastation. You cannot decide. You cannot decide. It's not his doing doesn't have the power. That's right. I'm not a god. I don't have any power over life and death, do I? You can't kill him. You can't let him die. You can't. And two, I think, this is honestly how I'm able to kind of... um, swallow is the wrong word to like even like anything politically, how I'm able... Anything is to be palatable to me is that when I look at them, I... I, I see them as children. And so mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, like it allows me to still humanize them. Otherwise I'm going to like go away. But like with, with mm-hmm. my characters, like they're just people. They're in a very heightened world. Nothing like yeah. uh, some people are like upset that they're like, nobody talks like this. And I'm like, no shit. <laughs> like, nobody talks like Gilmore girls, but that's a very popular television <laughs> show. Like, okay. <laughs> like, I think, I mean, people, you know, I, I think people want me to come down on a certain side. Like they want mm-hmm. me to like, because people want a perfect villain and a perfect victim because it allows us to feel safe in mm-hmm. our judgments of those characters and our judgments of ourselves. But mm-hmm. I want this piece, which is re- it's really just a character study. I'm not like tr- I'm not mm-hmm. trying to say anything pointed. I want I want the audience to ask themselves the same questions that I'm asking myself. You know, mm-hmm. I, the, like I don't know what happens to these characters after the end of this movie. I want to talk about it right. with you. What do you think happens to them at the end of the movie? Yeah, yeah. It, it's so interesting because Gen Z, I, I think the younger generations, Gen Z, and you know, I think younger millennials. There's a bit mm-hmm. of like I don't want to say puritanicalism, pur- puritanism uh-huh. around uh-huh. sexuality. Which is very American. It does seem like that is, that's what, there seem to be reports to this nature. Yeah, and it's like, I'm like, but we've got it, we've got it so twisted. Like, the idea that a young person, male or female, is not going to Mm. experience sexuality or question or talk about it is Mm -hmm. outrageous. And to to keep Mm -hmm. saying that, if you keep telling somebody something's inappropriate when they have a question, how are they, that Mm -hmm. causes shame. 
And shame causes people to be fucking weirdo senators who do weird shit, right? And and are like (laughs) repression leads to perversion. But I think the alternative is that we've got video games where you can run over and shoot prostitutes who are women. Like, (laughs) and that's fine. People are like gagging for those games. And I'm like, yeah. How can we disembowel someone on television and get a PG-13, yeah. but you show breasts, you show some titties, and you're a hard <laughs> R. Like You're a hard R. You're a hard, that's the cutoff, man. You get one fuck and you know breasts. Yes, but it can't be, it's also a weird, it's also a weird thing where it can't be romantic. Like, Euphoria, I love Euphoria, and I loved, I loved The Idol too. Like, I know it's tricky, contentious, <laughs> but it's like Euphoria is fine because it's so awful. But, like, the yeah. second you have any sort of romance, God forbid, like, it's over. Like, it's uh, – there's just a weird, like, cognitive rigidity around sexuality mm-hmm. in America that I find very alarming. Very alarming. I I think I think the idol is poison, but, like, I agree <laughs> with the point that you are making. And the point uh, – I, I think the aspect of, like, the coming together in the forums of conversation to discuss that is exactly the meaning of art like that that does exist. Why it's not just, like, okay, buried under a jail. Like, yeah. like why do I react derisively to it? And what does it satisfy as a need for you that you feel like you are missing? I feel like if we're in a world where the idol is giving us what we lack – we are in a state of deprivation. Oh we my are, god. We are crawling through the yes. desert. And 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 let, let me clarify about the idol. <laughs> there are a lot of things I don't <laughs> like about the idol, but the sure, ending sure, sure. of the idol to me felt like the end of Phantom Thread, where I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, she knows And what's people up. loved Phantom Thread. Cuz it's a character study. I just we we just don't have I, I don't know, something's happening right now and I think I think we're swinging one way and to to keep people safe, which is good. I get that. Mm-hmm. But it's there's not a lot of grace for Mm-hmm. grayness in characters right now and i wish i wish we could ha- i wish we could have more grace because if we can have mm-hmm. more grace for the characters that we're watching we can have more grace for ourselves and allow ourselves to not be ashamed to ask the question or not be ashamed to wonder why you want something or why you don't want something you know mm-hmm. you know i like i feel like i could try and ask a wrap-up question but i feel like that is a wrap-up that is a wrap-up statement that's the bow on the package Jade Hallie Bartlett, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I'm so glad you were here today. This was I'm, really fun. I'm so happy to have been here. You are such a G. Can we be friends? Yes. <laughs> Can we please be friends? Thank you so much to Jade Hallie Bartlett. This was truly one of the most fun times I have ever had recording this show. Uh, And please do check your local listings to find where you can see Miller's Girl. It truly, it's it's a talking picture. So one in this day and age, you might not necessarily associate with a big screen experience. But the production design in this movie is so lush and at points just so bonkers, you guys. Like, I really would recommend seeing it in a theater get out there a-list members uh and because just like to take in there are so many lamps in this movie so many rich wonderful lamps you've gotta it's gotta be seen to be believed so please do check out miller's girl and take friends with you because i think it's uh bears conversation afterward get get out there and now i have that one quick thing before i go i have been meaning to see killers of the flower moon ever since it came out i've been a butthead. I haven't made it a priority. I'm not daunted by a long runtime, but it's sort of like, okay, this is going to be like a four hour thing, but then like trying to juggle all these things. So it's like, I love a long movie on it. Give me a long Oscars and give me a long movie. Like take the time you need to take. I have no problem with that whatsoever. I do not need a tight 90 to be happy. Um, if a movie's long and I love it, it means you're just going to live in it for a longer time. And Killers of the Flower Moon, I was, I feel like anytime you get to see a movie like at one of LA's great movie houses, it's it's a luxury experience. I was able to see this movie at the Arrow um, and it was an RSVP only screening. So I got to see it for free. Um, and just, I'm like, I walked out and it was like, my God, like I don't, I, 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 I loved Oppenheimer. Um, I, I loved it so much more than I thought I did. It's by far my favorite Christopher Nolan movie in years. Um, this feels like the most exciting crop of Best Picture contenders we've had in a long time. Just every one of them. It's what a wonderful assemblage of films. I walked out of Killers of the Flower Moon and I was like, I, why are we talking about anything else for Best Picture? Like, this is the one. 
this is this is the one. And like I feel like Leonardo Leonardo DiCaprio's acting with a capital A is like like a, a good like culture, you know, joke at this point if you're somebody who like talks about movies a lot, but like guys He's really one of the best doing it. Like he's he's one of our great actors. Um Robert De Niro, like I feel like his choices are kind of funny sometimes, at, you know, at this point in his long career. Like, you know, you show up and you tend to show up in random shit sometimes. Um But like God, like you watch this, it's like, wow, Robert De Niro, still kind of at the top of his Robert De Niro game. Martin Scorsese closer to 100 than he is even to 50. At this point, and he is still making best in class, top of his game movies. And as we all know, as the bros will tell you, as anybody will tell you, uh, the the top of Martin Scorsese's game, the ceiling is higher on that than almost anybody who's ever made films. Uh, Lily Gladstone, the like quiet power of that performance until like select moments when the loud breakthrough power of that performance i truly hope we see her uh walk across the stage with an oscar in her hand at the academy awards i mean three and a half hours well spent i mean it's a true crime story like that's that's you have two of you know expansive over three hour like a movies made for adults nominated for best picture this year um uh, more than hefty Oscar nominations this year, but like between Oppenheimer, just here from the States, Oppenheimer and Killers of the Flower Moon, movies that are pr- propulsive and just pull you through their huge run times and feel gripping throughout. And this is one of those. And, um, you know, we re-aired the Kelly Reese episode uh, recently where she talks a lot about like an issue that she wants to center first and always is the plight of, of a missing and murdered indigenous women. And you watch this movie and the whole time you're like, you know, you're set in a historical period, but like the story of missing and murdered indigenous women is as urgent and terrifying now as it was then. And almost as much as being done now as one's then to address the problem, which is to say barely anything at all. So like you're watching this crime piece that still feels so urgently, desperately rooted in a problem not being confronted today and, and just like. You know, people talk you talk about Raging Bull, talk about Alien, talk about Blade Runner, talk about like the classics of, of our great directors who are still alive and making movies. Um, I'm honestly most excited about the fact that like Steven Spielberg has put out two of my favorite movies that he has ever made in the past five years with West Side Story and The Fablemans. I'm excited that Ridley Scott put out one of my favorite Ridley Scott movies ever in the last duel. That was like the best movie of the year it came out. And now Martin Scorsese is putting out Killers of the Flower Moon the movie of the year in in 2023 for me. And like, that's what excites me about these 80 year olds is that they have not lost a step. Um, I I don't want to talk about their old movies. You guys can do all of that. They're great stuff. But like, let's talk about their new works of genius. And yeah, best picture killers of the flower moon amidst a bumper crop of movies. I would be happy to see honored. This is the one, this is the one. And that's, that's the final word on the Oscars guys print it. Uh, and that is the final word on our show as well. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at FeelingScenePod or send us an email at feelingscene at maximumfun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher, and this is a production of Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.